What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Rhythm and Bay Podcast. As always, I'm your host who does the most, and uh, I am pushing through today with a little bit of serotonin I have because I was feeling so down, and then I saw my beautiful guest today, and I just got so excited. I am such a fan of this person. So funny, so talented, and honestly, my favorite person I've met since I moved to L.A. Y'all get up for the wonderful Valerie Tose. Hey, woo! I love Tafe. you so much. I was like, oh, and you messed up my last name, I'm rude. <laughs> I know. Toss like a ball. Toss like a ball. I've literally watched you say this to hosts and, and anyone who has to introduce <laughs> you so many Toss like a ball every time. <laughs> Listen, if I had a nickel for every time a podcast host or a host of a show said my last name wrong, I would be Jeffrey Bezos. So, you know, here we are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So how are you today? How is How are things going in your world? They're good. Uh, just trying to get stuff ready for my upcoming album and uh, mm -hmm. hit the road again soon and all that jazz. But um, it's good. I uh, got to play pinball this week. Always a delight. So you were, where were you this weekend? Were you in LA or were you on the road again? Yeah, I've actually been here uh, the last couple weekends trying to just get my uh, stuff together. And so yeah, I've just kind of been doing spots in town and bobbing around. Nice. I was actually on the road this weekend and I texted you because. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay. So what y'all need to know about Valerie is she is a certified spooky bitch, a self-proclaimed spooky bitch. You love everything weird and paranormal and strange. And another thing y'all need to know about me is I'm afraid of everything. Uh, <laughs> everything. In the entire, like, I just, I constantly believe that there is something scary about to happen. And I happened to check into, like, a kind of sort of haunted hotel in Memphis this past weekend. <laughs> oh, man. What did so I text much. you? I forgot what I said. It was so silly. You literally were just like, hey, uh, I know you like this horror shit, but uh, I'm not about it. And I don't know what to do. I'm really freaked out. And you were, and I, I literally told Jasmine, like, hey, uh. You just got to talk to the spirits and let them know, like, shit's cool. And you were like, okay, I'm going to try that. Because <laughs> I am a crazy person that if I think a place is haunted, especially whenever I move into a new apartment that I know is old and been around for a while, I'll kind of just do like a quick cursory walkthrough and just be like, hey, listen, we're all here. Y'all are here. I'm here. You guys do your thing. You've been here long before I was, and you will be here long after I'm gone. I'm not here to kill your vibe. You do your thing. Just don't scare the shit out of me. Okay. If I believe there was a ghost presence in my own apartment, then I'd be like, all right, what's the kick them out version of this? You know what I mean? Like, what is the get this out of here version of this? But since it was a hotel, I was like, I'm really a guest. So I sat on top of the covers, fully clothed, and I was like, I mean you no harm. And I said it out loud. <laughs> I guarantee you, there was a, just a bunch of ghosts laughing at your dumb ass for saying that. Like, I mean you no harm. <laughs> As if I That's have the so power funny. to hurt a ghost. I don't know I what I could... Oh my gosh. And it's so funny too, because it was like, there was the only restaurant that was open that night was like a walking distance. And it was like famous for being Memphis's most haunted restaurant. And you know what? I would have thugged it out during the day, but not on Halloween at night. Like it just seemed like. You're like, I don't need, I don't need my ribs to crawl off the plate and fucking attack me. Like yes. no thanks. 
it just seemed like it would be too even even if there was no paranormal presence just like the possibility of like other spooky bitches being in there like tonight's the night you know like all of the excitement but also i don't think that they're going there on halloween night i don't think there's like a big like you know we're gonna go on halloween we're gonna go and get some barbecue (laughs) (laughs) okay what does a spooky bitch do on halloween like what do you what's a good halloween for you so it just depends. I this year I actually did we did a double feature. We went and saw two spooky movies. We went and saw Antlers and we saw Last Night in Soho, which mm-hmm. um Last Night in Soho is great. I I I liked Antlers. I didn't love it. Uh but the camera work in Last Night in Soho is beautiful and it's very creepy and very good. Um so we did that and then we kind of just came back and uh we caught up on some other spooky stuff that we had been putting off like we watched the new Fear Street um kind of little like trilogy and uh and i love that like having a bunch of candles lit like listening to spooky music and stuff when you're not watching something and just like kind of leaning into it i I like halloween parties and stuff but i also just felt so burnt out this year where i was just like i i did a bunch of other halloween stuff like i did um like not uh what is it halloween horror nights i did the la haunted hayride like i did all that but i didn't do it on halloween itself because i uh take the entire month of october as a celebration i love that i think that is very dope as someone who's afraid of everything i my favorite thing about halloween is the costume element and this year i was just like i don't have the energy to really bring it and like i you know what i mean i was seeing some of the most elaborate costumes out there and i was like i don't want to half-ass it i don't I think want that- that's my least favorite part is having to do the costumes. I just want to go and see all the spooky stuff. I'm like, don't make, I don't even want to wear makeup normally. Don't make me do all this. Like, uh. And the bar is getting higher and higher because you're seeing like, you know, people are hiring makeup artists to make their Halloween looks happen. Like it is a real thing that is becoming a bigger and bigger deal every year. And I'm just like, I just mentally, I was too tapped out. I wanted to do Miss Piggy and Kermit, but I kept seeing so many really good Miss Piggy and Kermits. And I was like, it's so funny. And then I ended up in an airport for nine hours instead. So that is the life of the road that can be. That seems like the scariest Halloween you could have had. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just kept thinking there's just no way I'm going to die at an airport that doesn't have a Delta Sky Club. You know, if I can't get my unseasoned clam chowder, I don't. don't... (laughs) Girl, when I got trapped in that uh, Dallas Love Airport where there's no sky, there's no lounges at all. There's there's literally nothing there except for a dilapidated Chili's, and it was like <laughs> so awful. I was like, it was like me and just the the bare bones of bad humanity. Like it was just, I looked around and I was like, you had that moment where you felt like. <laughs> You felt like a, a a person, you felt like a dog that had a home that got lost and got dropped off at the shelter. And you're just like, I don't belong here. Like, <laughs> It's so funny because I feel like to the outsider listening, we sound like the most privileged bitches because we go to the lounges. But you have to understand, first of all, it's, it's not some like social, social hierarchy. It's just you, will you pay $550 for a specific credit card or not a year, right? Yeah, but well, we travel is, so much. It's like we have to. I did the math on it because I was like, am I going to pay $20 for an egg salad sandwich every day for the rest of my life? 
when you do the math, it makes so much sense. But it is, it's so funny though, the people who are like a little snooty in there, like I definitely feel looked at. And I'm like, bitch, we all have priorities and debt. Like you're not better also, than me. I I also love too that they look at it like a status thing and it's like, bitch, we all have the same credit card. Get over yourself. Like, you know what I mean? You didn't have to graduate from an Ivy League school to be in here. Like, calm your shit. (laughs) Oh, man. I will say, though, like the day people with kids come in, I'm going to be like, damn it, not cool anymore. Not fun anymore. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Anytime, anytime somebody has a a big old family in there, I'm like, no, no, your your little demon children belong downstairs in that fucked up Chili's. They do not belong in my nice silent (laughs) haven. Get out of here. That is that is what you're paying for. It's the silence and then a guarantee you won't starve between flights. That's all yeah. it is. I, I want to get alcohol. drunk on mimosas and not watch somebody change a diaper. That's all I want. <laughs> oh, I didn't understand the alcohol was free. And I just have this habit of skimming menus. So when I first walked in, my, my eyes just went right to the signature cocktails. And I was like, damn. It's 400 points for a mimosa, but it was a special mimosa. And then I did the math on it and renting a car for two days is 350 points. So I was like, what is this? What is this currency system? Wait, how was it that cheap for you to rent a car? That's nothing. Oh, no, no, no. It was like $350, which counted as 350 miles, but I heard like points. Like, oh my the, god, the currency is insane, right? But then it was 400 miles for that one drink, and I bought it anyway, thinking, Oh, well, I'll just live without these miles. And then I didn't realize everyone around me was getting wasted for free because they were drinking well. Drink. I mean, at like six in the morning, like at 5 45 a.m., this man was hovering by, like, he was like a zombie, he was just like hovering, like, he was shaking for a fix. <laughs> lady comes up at six he goes irish it and sticks his coffee out at her (laughs) irish it oh my god oh my god that's so you know it is funny too because like on days where you're like just tired and traveling and stuff and you're like i don't understand these people drinking so early in the morning that's insane but then there's been other times where i've been like yeah give me a mimosa right now so i don't kill everyone in this airport (laughs) and it is like Oh God, I'm not gonna lie. I do love an airport mimosa at 7 a.m. I'm like, nah, this is it's juice. It's fine. <laughs> oh man, that is that is the life of travel. It's it's so funny because all of it sounds so luxurious from the outside until you have to do it all the time. Like I had mm-hmm. this moment in first class where I was like, is this seat actually comfortable, or is it just <laughs> better than what everyone else has? <laughs> Well, you know what it is too, is that it's like, you get treated so differently there. It is like, it is a class system. Like it's it, funny that it's called like first class. Cause it is class. Like you're there mm-hmm. and they, like, they're coming around with like warm towels on a silver tray and shit. You're like, this is just, I, if I sat literally two feet back, they'd be like, uh, I'm sorry, you can't get an extra bag of chips. We don't do that here. <laughs> Where, like, if you're up here, it's like, can I rub your feet for you? It's, like, so insane. It's so weird. And it's it's crazy, too, because it's one one flight attendant for, like, 200 people and one flight attendant for 20 people. So that's also the difference is, like, who, how much, oh, my gosh. I remember one time I accidentally used the first class bathroom when I was in coach. And they were like, do not do that again. And I was like, my bad. It's it's just insane. Like you are you're treated so differently and it's it's maddening. And the price difference too, like 
it's so it's so crazy how much more money it is for first class most of the time sometimes it'll be really cheap it's only like 100 bucks more and i'm like okay i'll do it but like other times where you see it and it's like two grand for first class and like a regular main cabin is like 170 bucks and you're like what how how is it that big of a difference it's insane Mm -hmm. And it just changes by the minute. Although <laughs> this is my favorite first class story. And then I swear we're going to move on to something else. But this, I know you'll get a kick out of this. So one time at like five in the morning, I was leaving the Dallas airport and I had gotten upgraded. Like I got upgraded to first class and I like had the first seat. So there was this like seven or eight year old kid sitting with his family. And he asked his mom, is it time for us to go on board? And, he, and his mom said, no, those are the first class people. And then he points at me and goes, they don't look that rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh what a little monster and of course for like half a second i'm the only black person getting on this plane at this point and this is a white kid point i'm like this is motherfucking microaggression this is the problem they teach hate to their kid you know i'm thinking all that and then i realize there's literally like crumbs all over me so like is this kid racist or am i filthy at six o'clock in the morning covered in like bagel cheeto dust it's so funny. Oh my God. But yeah, like, uh, I, now too, that you get a taste of it. It's like, I can never go back. Like now that I've like experienced like the lounge stuff and like getting free alcohol, getting free food and how much better the food is there versus just downstairs. And like, it would seem so insane where you're like, why is the food better up here? Then in an actual restaurant, like, I don't understand. It's so wild. Yeah, once you get a taste of that good life. Um, I did uh, my flight back. I had a regular seat and <laughs> I had a little miniature breakdown because I swear to God, this seat was more narrow, more narrow than normal. I swear. But I had to like flag down the flight attendant and I was like, this never happens to me, but I can't buckle the seatbelt. And then they brought me an extender to close it. <laughs> And I got in it. And then the whole time I was like, surely I have not gained so much weight in 24 hours that I cannot close this seat. Surely Memphis didn't make me thick that fast. Surely. Oh my God. I, was, <laughs> I was in such a panic about it. But it turns out it was like a more narrow seat. It was like this special boarding on. That's at least that's what they told me. I, in my. <laughs> oh my God. If they had like a. a uh, if they had like a, an info manual to calm my fat ass down, so I would just sit down. I was like, it's not okay. I'm not okay. Well, so, thank you yeah. that those seatbelts are at least just on your lap. Because us with big titties, those regular seatbelts, it's like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, I can't. Where is that supposed to go? But most, wait, like, I'm not going to part my tits like the Red Sea so the seatbelt can try to save my life. Like, this is insane. <laughs> like the red sea i'm obsessed <laughs> i love it so with each episode we do um kind of a, a semi-spooky section here uh it is a murder segment we call it uh well it isn't always a murder segment it's called off the record and it's a music history segment so each week i try to teach you guys you the listeners and my guests because sometimes my guests are like full-on music experts and they know all the stuff that i'm talking about already and sometimes they're like what are you talking about who is this person so are you familiar with peter tosh the reggae star um probably is a surprise to no one no not at all <laughs> That's that's why I do it. I found out about this today, and this story is really crazy. Uh, the story comes to us from the New York Times, September 13th, 1987. Gunmen kill Peter Tosh, reggae star in Jamaica. 
So about the, and let me just get past this. Peter Tosh, a founding member of the Whalers, a reggae group that helped popularize the vibrant Jamaican music style internationally, was killed at his home Friday night by gunmen. The police said Mr. Tosh was 42 years old. That's weird phrasing there. The police said that he is 42 years old. Uh, the police said Mr. Tosh and Wilton Doc Brown, a maker of health food, died from their wounds en route to a hospital. Five others, including Mr. Tosh's companion, Adrian Marlene Brown, were, were wounded. Radio Jamaica said the attack appeared to have been a robbery attempt. What happened was is three armed men arrived on motorcycles at Mr. Tosh's home in St. Andrew, a suburb of Kingston, Jamaica, and entered the house at 8.30 p.m. Friday and shot the seven people present after they refused to give up their money. So this was just like an insane robbery gone wrong. They just like walked in and started shooting, which is just, it's crazy because like the Whalers um, was a very popular reggae group. They were well known, but I guess when you have money and influence in an area where a lot of people don't, things can happen. A police detective said that Mr. Tosh had just returned from the United States and that the robbers apparently thought he had a large amount of cash with him. The detective added that the assailants had been tentatively identified but had no arrest had been made now when i looked this up they actually later of course made arrest after this but it took quite a while to convict the killers so let's give you some more background that isn't quite included in this article tosh was born in westmoreland the westmoreland parish of jamaica he was abandoned by his parents and shuffled among relatives until he was 15 years old when his aunt died he moved to trenchtown in kingston jamaica he first learned guitar after watching a man in the country play a song that captivated him he watched the man play the same song for half a day, memorizing everything his fingers were doing. He then picked up the guitar and played the song back to the man. Ooh, come on, natural talent. I could not watch someone, right? Could you just watch someone for a day and then learn how to do something? I mean, the only time I've ever done that is with stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's because what we do is wildly easy. And it's mostly... Ah! It's not. It's very hard. But the point is tricking people into thinking it's easy. That is that is 90 mm percent -hmm. of the magic of this. During the early 1960s, an aspiring musician, Tosh went to a vocal teacher, Joe Higgs, who gave free music lessons to young people. Through his contact with Higgs, Josh met Robert Nesta Marley, a.k.a. Bob Marley and Neville O'Reilly Livingston. He then changed his name to Peter Tosh and the trio started singing together in 1962. So, yes, we are talking about Bob Marley and the Whalers, if you're not um familiar with them hey if you're not um it's okay it's it's okay um <laughs> i'm not judging i mean if you don't know who bob marley and the whalers it's it's okay somebody with a tattoo will tell you um like, if you just hang out anywhere long enough someone will mention it Higgs oh, taught yeah. the trio to harmonize, and while developing their music, they would often play on the street corners of Trenchtown. In 1964, Tosh helped organize the band The Wailing Wailers. I love, that is one of my favorite things about bands in the 60s, is um, just they would choose one word and decide that was it, like the Marvelettes, the Wailers, you know, I just, I love, I love names back then. They were pretty simplified. Yeah, uh, like which, even with like Tom Petty, Heartbreakers, there's always like, they always yeah it's always like and the it's like here's the person that you know and then a bunch of other people that make them sound good <laughs> right i kind of i wish i was a part of a group like that because you also get some like cooked in anonymity you know what i mean and, and anonymity yeah anonymity yeah. is the word yeah oh my did you see that tweet about the temptations this week it, it made me laugh so hard uh, no what was it <laughs> Okay, so they're the founding members of the Temptations. Um, all of them have died except for one member, and his name's Otis. And there's this movie called The Temptations that is kind of like all biographies. It's pulled from life, but then there's also some parts that are like 
you know, ad-libbed. Okay, so there's this famous line that like black people will just quote to each other at random and it's, ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. And if someone is like being too bold or too full of themselves, you just kind of yell it at them. And that was the, because David Ruffin was like, he was the front man of the temptations and got a, got a little full of himself. And there's a part where Otis says, you know, like they're coming to see the temptation temptations and, and and David Ruffin goes, they're coming to see me. And then he goes, ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. So anyways, there's this great quote that was like, now we have no choice but to see Otis because everybody else died. <laughs> like we have. Oh my no- God. <laughs> so we have to see Otis. That's all we've got. And honestly, I think outliving all the members of your group, maybe sort of out of spite is kind of genius. Uh- <laughs> oh, that like, like Otis went hard. <laughs> A, a bunch of close friends of mine play for the temptations and when dennis edwards died i was like oh man are you are you out of your gig and they go nah dude there's some other guy we're just gonna start calling him now <laughs> and it was him it was otis and then there i was like what happens when he's gone they just they just start calling people that they replaced the temptations with it's like anyone who ever did it will get that gig i'm starting to think the temptations like... kind of operates like the blue man group like is it just this like cycling yep yeah that's literally say. like what it's going to be is it's just like the temptations are never going to end they're just going to start calling people who did that gig in like the 80s it's like when somebody rebuilds like a classic car and it's like is that can you even call that the same car anymore because you've literally changed every single piece of it I guess as long as as long as they don't release some new hits. Like if I'm on if I'm on Apple Music one day and I get an alert that's like new songs by the Temptations, then I'll be concerned. If I just look up and it's just, you know, just a salvage hodgepodge of leftover NSYNC and Backstreet Boys members calling themselves the Temptations, then I'll be concerned. But like as I long would, as I'm not gonna lie, I would go see that. Would you- <laughs> I'm a white bitch in her goddamn mid-30s. You think that that doesn't wildly appeal to my sensibilities? Okay, (laughs) as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'm going to send you a bunch of links and we are going to figure out which Backstreet Boys ex-boys to men concert we're going to go see in Vegas because that is what the millennial Gen X bitches are doing. It is what we are doing. Girl, I am there. I'm just so mad I never got to see Britney in Vegas. (sighs) I almost saw Brittany in Vegas and then I, instead I went, I took a 50 minute Uber to make $10 telling jokes at a pizza shop because I thought it was more important in my career to say I performed in Vegas than to go with my sisters to see Brittany. You absolute fool. (laughs) (laughs) I and every other geriatric millennial is absolutely furious at you right now. (laughs) I, I know. I know. I, it's so funny, too, because I held my breath after I said that, thinking you'd offer me some like, oh, it's OK. You were like, you dumbass. No, no, absolutely not. No, no. You, <laughs> I'm so mad at you. OK, so taking it back to uh, to Tosh, taking it back to this story, because it's it gets a little crazy. I was looking at the. So, of course, when I started talking about this, the New York Times article is really just very matter of fact, because it's written like the day after it happened. So I was upon reading this, I was like, oh, this is not enough information. So let's back a jacket. This is brought to us by Wikipedia. So, of course, Wikipedia is beautiful because it is the conglomerate of all the information. And if you're like, Jasmine, why didn't you launch your own investigation into this? Um, um, I'm a touch dyslexic. I do the best I can. All right. So we're just I'm a touch dyslexic. Never formally, formally touch. diagnosed. Just a pinch. Just, just the right amount. 
All right. So initially, Tasha was the only one in the group who could play musical instruments, according to Bunny Whaler. Oh, here we go. Now I was wondering, I was like, somebody's got to be named Whaler for them to be like so headstrong and calling this the Whalers. According to Bunny Whaler, Tosh was critical of the band because he was a self-taught guitarist and keyboardist and thus became an inspiration for the other band members to learn to play. The Wailing Whalers had a major ska hit with their first single, Simmer Down, and recorded several more successful singers before Brain Braithworth, Kelso, and Smith left the band in 1965. Can we also just much take a moment to uh, laugh at the fact that uh, a ska hit is a real thing that can apparently happen? I was confused. I, I was stuck on that for a second. I was like, ska. Ska is a music genre. Okay, according to this, ska is a music genre that originated in Jamaica in the late 1950s and was the pre precursor to rock steady in reggae, which is so wild to me because when I think of ska, I think of white people in checkered shorts. Um, yes. I think, <laughs> yes. I think of real big fish. That's what I think of is, is that. I think of a brass section in a band. <laughs> like I had no idea it had any other, what I think of Sky, I don't think of the precursor to reggae. I think of, wow, I guess every, and that makes sense. It was a 50s music style. And in the 90s, we had this obsession with the 50s, you know, so that kind of, I was watching Clueless the other day and I was like, why are the boys dressed like this? Like they all had on those like bowling shirts with the button downs and the collars and like. Oh yeah, baby. I remember that. That was my high school, baby. Yeah. We went through this like fifties revival. And then like, I, I think by the time I got to high school, it was like all about mimicking everything eighties, but then like putting like, like a. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, because we got ska, and then we also, there was that weird resurgence of swing music. So everybody was, like, obsessed with, like, cherry pop and daddies and squirrel nut zippers, you know, just all the weirdest names you could possibly think of. But I remember that when it, we would have, like, school dances and that, and, like, Zoot Suit Riot would come on and not knowing that it is problematic. But also, like, you guys want a swing dance? And it was just a bunch of teenagers trying not to break each other's necks. Like... <laughs> Can you imagine you prepare all night thinking you're going to like slow dance with your crush for the first time, but instead he tries to like lift you over his shoulders. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, it's like just as you're like, oh my God, I just, all I want to do is because our, our school, the tradition is that the final song to the dance would always be Stairway to Heaven, which is like such a long ass song. So you knew if you were dancing with somebody you didn't want to dance with, you were screwed for like seven minutes and so they always like you would try to like find where your crush is but can you imagine being like okay it's getting to the end i think it's going to be this and be asking somebody to dance and then that song comes on and it is not what you were picturing <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. During the mid-1960s, Tosh, along with Bob Marley and Bunny Whaler, were introduced to Danny Sims and John Nash, who signed the three artists to an exclusive recording contract on Sims and Nash's JAD record label, as well as an exclusive publishing agreement through Sims Music Publishing Company, K-Man Music. Rejecting the up-tempo dance of ska, good, I'm so glad they did, the band slowed their music to a rock-steady pace and infused their lyrics with political and social messages inspired by their newfound faith. The Whalers composed several songs for the American-born singer Nash before teaming with producers Lee Scratch Perry to record some of the earliest well-known reggae songs, including Soul Rebel, Doopy Conqueror, and Small Axe. And the collaboration had given birth to reggae music in 1970 bassist Aston Family Man Barrett and his brother drummer Carlton Barrett joined the group. They recorded the album The Best of the Whalers, which was produced by Leslie Kong and released in 1971. 
that's so funny because I, when I think of best of albums, it's usually um, a bunch of stuff you already made. I think that's really interesting yeah. to like produce an album and call it, this is the best. This is, this is what we got. Yeah, that's pretty bold to be like, I've decided this is the best I can do. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I think the people are going to decide that before you do, my friend. Like, oh, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a lot. I love the confidence here. So taking it through, we're just giving you some background on who who Peter Tosh was, what happened up until the point that he died. So you can imagine like how important his, because a lot of people don't know the rest of the band. Like I think years from now, when we talk about like bands that are popular, like for example, Maroon 5, you know, he's, you're going to have trouble with the other four. So it's important to know like. <laughs> do you know I've, uh, do you know that I've met them and been kicked out of their concert? So. story time right now uh so i went to go see maroon five in boston i went with my friend of mine who was underage uh and we got to the venue and they were like okay you can come in but uh she can't drink because she's not 21 if we catch her drinking you guys are out of here and then literally of course we were there for like t 10 15 minutes some guy came up and was like can i buy you a drink to her and I, and i looked at her like don't and she's like sure and of course they caught her and so then i felt guilty so i left with her and i was like i can't believe we got kicked out of this i'm so mad at you and so we were and this was way before like uber lyft all that so we're in boston we went to like a there was a hotel that was next door and so we literally were just like waiting in the lobby trying to figure out what we were going to do and the concert ended and while we were waiting in the lobby literally all of maroon 5 were staying at that hotel and came into the hotel lobby and were like hey what's going on and we were and we were like wait what and like literally we just ended up talking to them and hanging out with them for like the rest of the night oh my god so dumb <gasps> do you know what year like how popular is maroon 5 at this time this was before I moved back here and it was when I was in, I would say this was probably in 2000 and I'd say 2005, maybe to that somewhere oh. between 2005 and 2007 and somewhere in between there is because when I was still living uh, back on the East coast before I moved out here, but it was like after high school and stuff. So somewhere, somewhere in there and they were, they were big. It was like songs about Jane. It was like, came out when I was in college and I was obsessed mm -hmm. with that album. And so it was like somewhere like the next album or two after that. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's definitely, I think that's like the sweet spot from Rune 5 where like they're popular, but people aren't annoyed with them. Uh, people although, rag I, on I, him all the time. They're always like, fucking this bullshit song like people <laughs> rag on them all the time but that first album is so so good they actually used to be a different band before they were maroon five they were um caris uh, flowers caris flowers yeah i love that we both yes. do that <laughs> <laughs> i always i loved them so much in the beginning and then i remember Me too. Like, feeling feeling bad for them when Kanye got mad that they won Best New Artist. Like, I remember, I remember feeling bad. And then just somewhere along the way, Adam Levine just got so cheesy. Although I do, the current criticism of him right now, like as of as the recording of this episode, November 4th, is people are mad that he acted grossed out when a fan grabbed him. Did you see that video? No, but also I would feel grossed out if anybody grabbed me. Thank you. Thank you. It doesn't matter how famous or cheesy you are. You still deserve your space. And like someone got on stage. So also like, y'all, you know how you're always like, like, I'm, I love you guys. I love listeners. You know, they're like, what other murder stories do you have? And there's a lot of them that I'm not telling you guys because um, they're just kind of mundane. Listen, 
people getting killed by fans creeps me out a lot. It creeps me yeah. Out yeah. Like, None of us want to get selena okay? Like, it's no. fucking scary. Yes, or Dime by Daryl, or like there's a lot, there's a lot of them. And so I can, you know what I mean? If I saw someone just running at this, now I'm thinking, oh, security's let one loose. How do I know what's about to happen to me right now? So yeah. I would, I think he had a right to be scared, although he did, people didn't like it because he had this reaction where he went like, like she was dirty. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's COVID though. It's like you've compounded it with the fact that we're coming out of a pandemic where we're all freaked out by literally anyone that isn't our, in our immediate circle. And then like, and also just people being gross in general. So you're like, this is, no, you don't get to, you don't get to do that. Well, Adam Levine yeah. can definitely be kind of like, I can see how people think he's kind of douchey sometimes, but like, that's no, let the man live. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's funny. The same people who I know who are mad would be like, they're the same people who would cross the street if a stranger said hi to them. You know what I mean? Like, we are just hitting this wall of we're not friendly stop lying none of us yeah. are anymore we're like well whatever well whenever i grab the waitress's lower back at hooters she doesn't get upset why is he getting upset at this like, <laughs> i have news for you pal uh we fucking hate that so yeah don't do that we we fucking hate that y'all that is that is an important message okay Okay, I am going to finish the story of what happens. Okay. In 1972, Danny Sims assigned the balance of the JAD Records recording contract to the band to Chris Blackwell and Island Records Company and released their debut, Catch a Fire, in 1973, following it with Burnin' and Natty Dread the same year. The Whalers had moved from many producers from 1970, and there were instances where producers would record rehearsal sessions that Tosh did and release them in England under the name Peter Touch. So he was doing his own solo products, projects had a lot of great things going on. Here's where things get a little crazy. In 1973, Tosh was driving home with his girlfriend, Yvonne, when his car was hit by another car driving on the wrong side of the road. The accident killed Yvonne and it severely fractured Tosh's skull. After Island Records president Chris Backwell refused to issue his solo album in 1974, Tosh and Bunny Whaler left the Whalers, citing the unfair treatment that they received from Blackwell, to whom Tosh often referred to in a derogatory play on Blackwell's surname, Whitewurst. Tosh had written many of the Whalers' hit songs, such as Get Up, Stand Up, everyone knows that, 400 yeah. Years and No Sympathy. Tosh began recording and releasing his solo debut, Legalize It, in 1976 with CBS Records Company and Island Records. The title track soon became popular among endorsers <laughs> of cannabis legalization, reggae music lovers, and Rastafari all over the world, and was a favorite of Tosh's concerts. That was his last hit album from the Whalers' Islands Records in in 2013, a book co-written by French scholar Dr. Jerome Caboud Degani, an American Lee Jeff, his former associate, says Tosh was part of a smuggling operation that raised money to fund this album. What? <laughs> so, okay. In 2013, a book co-written by French scholar Dr. Jerome Caboud Degani, an American Lee Jeff, his former associate, says Tosh was part of a smuggling operation that raised money to fund this last album. So... The, the phrase smuggling operation is a little wild to me here. Do they just mean they sold weed? I'm a little like. It is, it's, it is wild to hear that like stories from back then because they're like, are they just talking about selling weed? Which like now is not a big deal, but at the time was like such a big deal and cr criminalized and all this shit. So it's like, yeah. Or it's like, or did you have like cocaine up your butt? Like, what are you, what are you smuggling? Is it trafficking? Did you mean trafficking? Like, are you, do you I'm have kids? Like, what are you? I'm curious. So like after he suffers a brain injury, they refuse to put out a solo album. So he self-produces it and he does what he needs to do to make the money for it. I also think it's pretty interesting that Bunny Whaler leaves the Whalers in 1974 
and it's still called the whalers <laughs> like i feel like if you're the name you get to keep the name i don't know but the whalers not featuring any whalers that is interesting so let's talk about the death and get to it because this is this is where it got really messy and interesting and the new york times article did not have enough details because like i said it was written like within like 24 hours of the story being released on the 11th of September, 1987, just after Tosh had returned to his home in Jamaica, a three-man gang came to his house on motorcycles demanding money. Tosh replied that he did not have any money with him, but the gang did not believe him. They stayed at his residence for several hours and tortured Tosh in an attempt to extort money from him. Over the hours, as various associates of Tosh arrived to visit him, they were also taken hostage by the gunman. Oh, Lord. Can I make oh, a really inappropriate joke? Yes, please. This is literally his 9-11. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It has been 20 years. It is, it is. And it's still too soon for that. It's his 9-11. It happened September 11th. That is why. And it's funny that I had to say the 11th of September. The way it was phrased, I was like, like such an American thinking to be like, on 9-11? Although, <laughs> this is not... <laughs> It was his 9-11. Did I ever tell you that my grandmother died September 11th, 2002? Oh, were you even allowed to grieve? <laughs> no. People. I came to school that day because I still had to go to school and I was really sad and quiet and I was like a bubbly kid. And this girl came up to me and she was like, why are you sad? And I was like, my grandma died. And she goes, on oh, 9-11? I'm so sorry. And I was like, yeah. They they tried to, you know, I was telling her everything that happened. And she goes, wait, you mean today? And I was like, yes. She goes, oh, I thought she died in the real 9-11. And oh, no. Oh, my God. Right? It's like, no, she didn't die in 9-11. She died on 9-11, which is like. <laughs> Not even... good enough, apparently. So sorry. Oh, oh, well, then she was old. What do you even care? And you're like, why? <laughs> oh. Not the yeah. real 9-11. Oh, that's so funny. Kids are the fucking worst, dude. Kids, middle school kids, the worst. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about this. Can you imagine you go visit your friend and get taken hostage? Oh my gosh. This is sometimes- Sometimes you feel like you get taken hostage by your friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. The gunmen became more and more frustrated, especially the chief thug, Dennis Lepo Loban. I love the phrase chief thug. Although, fuck that guy. A man who- <laughs> A man whom Tosh had previously befriended and tried to help find work after a long jail sentence. Oh, that makes me sad. After a long jail sentence, Tosh said he did not have any money in the house, which Lo Loban and fellow gunmen began opening fire in a reckless manner. Tosh was shot twice in the head and killed. Herbalist Wilton Doc Brown and disc jockey Jeff Free also died as a result of wounds sustained during the robbery. So three people were killed. Several others in the house were wounded, including Tosh's common-law wife, Andrea Marlene Brown, Free Eyes wife Yvonne Joyce is a different Yvonne jo and Tasha's drummer Carlton Santa Davis and a musician Michael Robinson. So, wow. Uh, two, three, four people were shot. So seven people in total were injured. Three died. Four were shot. Jesus. And it was someone he knew who he was helping to find work who just decided it would be easier to rob him. That makes me super sad. Yeah, that's so awful. Like. Man, and also, like, this event has too many, like, things that were in the zeitgeist that it's hard to listen to now and not think about. Like, when you, like, the 9-11 thing, and then also somebody's name was Doc Brown. 
literally from Back to the Future. Like I'm trying to listen to this story and be sympathetic and because it is fucked up and awful and tragic. And then you hear little things like this where you're like, well, God damn it. I can't. <laughs> now I'm just like, what do they do? Like hit him with a fucking ray or something? Like what? I don't understand. Like, uh... oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I, this is why I love having comedians on this because if I were to just talk to like some forensic scientists, they go, that is also sad and we'd move on. But you were like, I completely forgot that this is the, this was, you, you know, the guy from Back to the Future was killed in this incident. And that's awful. Fucking Christopher Lloyd, man. I can't, like, it's too, I can't, I can't even think about it. Like, uh, I keep I love how he talks it. like he's, like he's always just like shaking himself dry. Like, just. <laughs> I also, keep always to call... like <laughs> I also keep wanting to call that car the Mandalorian instead of the DeLorean because it's so similar and it makes me crazy. <laughs> Your brain is like, this is this is what getting older is. Because when I was a kid, I used to never understand why mom, my mom would mix up so many things. And now I realize it's just like after a while, you've learned too many things. Yeah. And if, too, if you've heard too much, you've consumed too much and you're just going to make. This is why our dads don't remember our friends. This is why <laughs> I feel I'm like really our brains to... are just alphabet soup at this point, where it's just like sometimes the right letters flow together and sometimes they do not. I'm starting to get it. You know, I really, oh God, I'm really starting to get it. So just wrapping up this terrible, terrible story. According to police commissioner Herman Ricketts, Dennis Lepo Lobin, fuck that guy, surrendered and two other men were interrogated, but not publicly named. Lobin went on to plead innocent. No, he didn't. See, this is the joy of me not doing the research ahead of time. If I did the research ahead of time, you wouldn't get these real reactions. You so right? funny. You think no, Terry Gross not. is getting this emotional? <laughs> Do you think? Oh my God. No, this bitch did not plead innocent when he shot seven fucking people in his mentor's house. Mm -mm. Oh my God. All right. The Oh, ugh. telling the court that he had been drinking with friends. The trial was held in a closed court due to the involvement of illegal firearms. Loban was ultimately found guilty by a jury of eight women and four men and sentenced to death by hanging. Wow, they do it medieval in Jamaica. His <laughs> sentence was was not <laughs> a hanging. I, I mean, a hanging. And... That that's medieval. I think you're thinking of like a guillotine. <laughs> hanging is a, hanging is more. I don't know. Hanging. I always think of like fucked up shit in the south and then also the witch trials like those are the two things i always think of oh I, I guess it is a little bit more american than i think oh wow it's just it feels <laughs> i know by 87 they had lethal injection they had the electric chair like we had neater indoor options like i mean like oh man man i mean can't say he didn't deserve it his sentence was yeah. commuted in 1995 and loban remains in jail oh Oh, so, he's still alive? He's still alive. This is updated oh as of today. Oh my God, what? A plot twist. Another suspect was acquitted due to insufficient evidence, and the other two gunmen were never identified by name. <gasps> Those motherfuckers are still rolling around. Jasmine, what if they were at that haunted restaurant in Memphis? <laughs> <laughs> no, I told them they were cool, so <laughs> I regret that deeply. <laughs> I, if I had known that was Loban, I would have said, man, fuck you, dude. Like, like, you don't kill people who try to help you out. Dan. Oh, oh, man. This is wild. What a sad story. Well, you know, uh, 
we we recognize the great things that that Tosh did on his time on Earth and what an impact he made musically and the great things that the the Whalers and of course Bob Marley put out. And but it's so sad to see that they came to an end in such a dramatic way. And this is to the record the only torture death I found for a musician. So a pioneer in life and death. Holy shit, that is I. Murder is such a wild thing to cover on podcasts. I know it is like what scratches the itch of the masses right now. And I do it. I do it with love. I love the stories I'm doing. But half the time I'm like, this is terrible. Why do y'all listen to this? But y'all do. So thank y'all again for tuning in to another Off the Record. That is going to wrap up that segment for us today. All right. Let's reset our brains. You ready, Val? You ready, Val? You ready? Oh, I sure am. Okay, this is our last segment of the episode today. We are going to do what is called Soundtrack of Your Life. So what you have done is you have provided me with five songs that tell the life story of Valerie Tossi. Yeah, we'll see what these songs do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, start me off. Start me off. What's your, what's your, you want to go five to one, one to five, which way we want to do it? Well, first of all, I can't wait for you to hear these because I guarantee you probably don't know. You you probably there's two that you probably know. The other three you're gonna be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Uh, yeah. So okay, what? Yeah, what do you do? You want me to like name them all? You want me to go through them one by one? Yeah, let's go by one for one. Give me the artist and the the name of the song, and then let's talk about why it resonates with you. If there's a story attached, or what makes that song so special to you? Okay. Uh, one of them, listen, I'm a white woman in my mid thirties. If you for one second thought that Fleetwood Mac wasn't going to make it onto this list, you, my friend, do not know white women. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, the song I chose from Fleetwood Mac is Silver Springs, which is infuriating that it is not on the goddamn rumors album. It is a crime and it is, I will forever be upset. Uh, but so that song, I actually have it a lyric of it tattooed on my body. Uh, you can, Jasmine, you can see it. It's the one that's right on my arm. But uh, the lyric Aww. that I have tattooed on is time casts a spell on you. Speaking of spooky bitch. And um, <laughs> it that song, I just, I really love it. And it is, it's the song where you hear it and it's beautiful and it's haunting. But if you've ever been in a relationship that kind of completely changes and defines a big part of your life. This song is it's therapeutic and it's also kind of vengeful because you listen to it and it is very much like the lyric is time casts a spell on you, but and you won't forget me where it's like, where it's, it's basically this woman who is kind of saying like, Hey, you know, time's going to go on and whatever, but like, you're not going to forget me. I'm going to haunt your dreams. I am never going to like the memory of this relationship is never going to go away. And I think once you're like in your thirties, you have some of those long-term relationships where we all have those like one or two people where you're like, just hoping, like, I hope somewhere that they're like deep diving on social media or like hearing from a friend be like, Oh, Valerie's doing really great. Or like something like that. Cause you're like, yeah, motherfucker, I will haunt you for the rest of the day. <laughs> So I take it there's somebody, there's somebody where you're like, I wouldn't want to be with you again, but I hope I haunt you a little bit. Yeah, there's a couple that I'm just like, mm, I hope that you like happened upon like info or whatever. And you're like, man, I, I did really fuck that up. And it's like, yeah, you sure did. You sure did. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's one of them. Uh, and now for something a little lighter. Um, Have you ever had a moment where someone reached out to you like after the fact and they felt guilty? But I love those kind of stories. 
Oh, I, I just love it. Where it's it, They do reach out. I've also been the person that has reached out when you know that you fucked up and you're trying to like repair things, you know, like oh, that's, I've been on. Never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I would never. Oh, I would never. <laughs> I love that for you, though. I would never. You're like, wow, what growth? Not for me. Not for me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it is always fascinating when somebody reaches out to you and you're just like, yeah, man, no. Or like they try to get back together with you and stuff and you're just like, dude, that ship has sailed. Get out of here. Like, absolutely not. Um, the worst is when someone does you wrong and they come back to apologize. But you know that like, you are mad. Have you ever had the situation where you're mad, but you can't let on that you're mad because then that proves what they did mattered. Like I had a situation, there was a guy who, for whatever, it's a long story, but he left me driving in the rain looking for his house and texting, pretended he got arrested and like avoided me for 48 hours. And, like he just pretended he got arrested so that I wouldn't go to his house because he didn't know how to break up with me. <laughs> this happened like six years ago Val and he just reached out to me to say like I'm so proud of you and I see all the amazing things that you're doing and I'm so sorry I never like cherished you for what an amazing person you are and you're so stunning and, da -da -da and all this stuff and girl it was so hard to be like oh wow I completely forgot about all of that I hope you're doing all right like That's I had to so pretend funny. that I haven't been pissed for like half a decade because it was really important for him to know that he had no effect on me but he I was so mad <laughs> so bad oh yeah it is where, where then you wonder too where you're like is me holding all of this in actually making this person feel bad or is it just making me feel bad you know it's always the latter, <laughs> <It's> always <laughs> the latter. oh man take us to your next song all right, next one. I'm a big dork, so there's a song that I know you have never heard this one. The song is literally called I Like Musicals, <laughs> and it is by... I am uh, not. Laura yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's by Lauren Benani... Uh, ben and... Ben wow, can I say her name? Ben Nanti. Ben Nanti. Jesus, Val. Uh, she is a Broadway actress. She's been in a bunch of stuff. If you, uh, if you uh, like Guilty Pleasure shows and have happened to watch the show younger she was on that show um but i'm a huge theater dork and like it just it speaks to me a lot because it's very much like the opening line is i wish i were cool <laughs> it's like it's like i wish i were cool i wish i were rock and roll i wish i were jewel or alanis morissette uh and then she like kind of goes off and she's just like yeah i'm too busy in my car listening to the my fair lady soundtrack to do any of these things and it's just very it's very silly and fun and it I, i'm a huge musical theater nerd so that is like very much applicable to me where i'm just like yeah i'm just a dork and, I'm, and that's just how i am i'm not gonna hide it so that's like i love that song it's very fun lyrically it's adorable i cannot wait to listen to this i just i love the earnestness because this came out in 2016 which i feel like was the height of like i'm not like other girls i'm quirky but this is like i'm not like other girls i'm actually insufferable <laughs> i like things. i like things that you're not gonna enjoy no i'm not like other girls i love playing 2k and wearing crop tops no i like things that you're going to hate <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be right up front with you i love this shit where she says like she's like uh 
I'd, like instead of something about like Britney, like she doesn't like Britney Spears that she'd rather listen to. Um, Julie uh, Andrews, I just read it. Yeah, Julie Andrews, that's what it is. Yeah, it's so funny. But it's just like I, a silly, I, kitschy song. What do you think is your like most niche habit or thing that you're into where you're like, mm, this is not going to sit well with y'all. Let me keep this to myself. <laughs> oh, man. I, fuck I don't know I mean I have like dumb silly shit that I love that I know like like I'm a big pinball nerd so like I like I'm on a pinball league okay I am a fucking dork and so like that's a thing where people are like I'm sorry you do what so like that's one but it's not like a deep dark secret I kind of think I'm boring like I don't even masturbate what do I have to hide (laughs) (laughs) well how can you have time to masturbate when you're like playing the oboe and like it's the clarinet have some fucking respect jess i did this on purpose i know it's the motherfucking clarinet (laughs) but i knew that if i said the wrong instrument (laughs) absolute monster i knew you'd rep it like your gang and i appreciate how much you love your (laughs) instrument i that's Oh, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. I, I love people who just love their things. And I will say for a comedian, you have more hobbies than anyone I know. Like most, most comedians kind of have like their only hobby is like cocaine and, and asking how to get that. So like, just... <laughs> well, I'm like a full, I'm a full advocate where like, you have to live a whole ass life. You can't just, if your only thing is comedy, you're going to lose your goddamn mind and you won't have anything new to draw from, you know, like you need to be a person. And I think COVID really instills that too, where like, if all you had was comedy, what the fuck did you do the last year and a half? You know what I mean? Like you needed things that brought you joy when comedy is not available. So like I, that's, I'm a big proponent of that, which coming out of COVID is also, that's, I always said I didn't have time for a pinball league. Cause I was like, oh, well shows and I'm on the road. And then finally I was just like, it's one night every two weeks. Like you can f- figure it out. It's something that you like, do it for yourself. You don't need to like, you know, you don't always need to make space for one thing. Mm. And it's important making space for the things that you love and loving the things that you love openly and out loud. So this is actually a really cool uh, song choice. I mean, I haven't heard it yet. If it sounds like trash, I'll let you know. I'm sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's very like, it's, it's like pop, like pop kind of musical theatery, like, but it's just catchy and I'll listen to it on repeat. Like I will drive my car around Hollywood windows down that song, full blast singing at the top of my lungs, not giving a fuck. <laughs> I guess I saw with the lyrics, I thought it was going to sound very much like funny girl, like, like, I wish I were cool. I wish I were no. rock and roll. <laughs> like, it's that's what I was it's literally like, I wish I were cool. I wish I were rock and roll. Like, it's very, like, cute and, like, kitschy. It's not, like, uh, Broadway. <laughs> that's what I was expecting. I was expecting high kicks and big brass notes. I was expecting a lot different than what I'm getting. I love There's that. There's one thing at the end where she does do, like, a super high note, and it's very musical theater, and that part is very funny because because it fits within context where you're like, oh yeah, she is a musical theater dork, but it's like right at the end. I kind of love that. That is that is a lot of fun. All right, let's do song number three. All right. Um, have you heard of a song by, the artist's name is Marina and the song is called Man's World. Have you heard this song? No, tell me about it. Okay, I think you might dig this one. It's, um, I actually have the lyrics pulled up on this one because that's really important. The, um, the song 
it also kind of has like a like a Lana Del Rey vibe a little bit where it's kind of like um that that kind of like the the musicality and like the of the actual instrumentation but the oh yeah these lyrics sound dramatic as shit it, oh. it sounds very but it is like the the kind of like chorus of it is mother nature's dying nobody's keeping score i don't want to live in a man's world anymore and it is mm. it's this kind of like whole song about how like we know that shit's fucked up and y'all meaning men aren't doing anything about it and it's very like it's it's so tough to watch all this destruction and stuff from the outside and want so desperately to fix it and tired of being trapped in this weird status quo and so i feel that this identifies a lot of like being a woman in comedy where you're so tired of seeing like these lineups of all men and like just venues and things being super problematic and there being all this like fucked up shit that happens behind closed doors. And it's just like, yeah, I'm tired of living in a man's world. I just want to be able to perform comedy and feel safe doing it. And it's like very, it just, yeah, it, it really like spoke to me in that term of like the comedy realm and just being a woman trying to do literally anything. Mm -hmm. That is so important, especially just with so many things going on. I mean, have there ever been a time where you've, push back against that and it's you've had good results with it or what what have you found have been your experiences of woman in comedy pushing back well you know me i i i, <laughs> I uh, aired some grievances a couple of months ago and still feeling the repercussions of that so uh yeah yeah it's tough speaking your mind when it comes to stuff like this because uh you will get punished for it and it sucks because you get both sides where you get like people that are like, thank God you spoke up. I've been wanting to say something or like, we, we really appreciate you. We value you, things like that from the people that you already love and respect. So mm -hmm. it's like, you're getting that positive reinforcement, but then the people that, that are just the people that you want to get through to are the ones that are like, absolutely not. And that's the part that's really difficult where you're like, you're the one I'm trying to convince here. And like, you just, it's like you have earplugs in, you want no part of it. And then the worst part is the, they will act like a person like yourself who speaks out on this is trying to cause drama or just doing it for some personal gain. And in actuality, it's like it's so much bigger than ourselves. If we're, mm -hmm. if we're just like, well, I'm happy. I'm fine. I got the thing I wanted. And then you just never look around and go, why is there only one woman on this 10-person lineup? If yep. you never look around and you never reach back down, nothing ever changes. If I'm, yep. you know, if you're if you're always just like, well, I'm covered, that's good. That's what people in power want us to do is to go, well, I'm the one I got through the door. That's all that mattered. And like taking the time to reach back is so important. And I appreciate you for doing that. Um, but it, I know I understand there can be repercussions to it. And it's, it's easier said than done. And a lot of times it's so easy. It's, it's always so frustrating too, when people put the honest on people who are in a marginalized position to make the changes. Like, mm -hmm. oh, we've got to say something. And it's like, you know, if people who weren't in that position said something, it would mean so much more. That's if literally the... part of it. Like when I had said, <laughs> I was like, you, I was like, if you're a man and you're on a lineup and there's no women or there's one woman, y'all need to step the hell up and ask why. Because you guys helped create this problem. You need to help us fix it. Because we're the ones that get deemed difficult when yes. we're not in a position of power. And that's so unfair and so frustrating. Ooh, I can talk about that all the time because there's so many Ooh, inroads. Girl. Woo! I could go. So I'm already excited to hear this. I'm not gonna lie. First lyric, first lines of it. I was like, this is giving Lana Del Rey. This is giving mm -hmm. manic pixie mm -hmm. excitement. I wasn't sure how to perceive it. And then you get to the chorus and you're like, oh, this is pretty straightforward. 
That's but one of I those can... songs that happened upon, like I was listening on, uh, you know, some, when you're listening to like an album or something on Spotify and then the album ends, it'll kind of just kick you with stuff that they recommend that based off of that, they think you'll like. That's one of those where it came up. And the first time it started, I was like, what is this bitch saying? Like that first like chunk where you're like, what? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to let it play and hear the whole thing. And then when that chorus kicked in, I was like, oh, this is a song that I didn't know I needed to hear. Like, it's like one of those. Yes. Yeah. This, the second, like, I don't know if it stands a line, whatever. Burnt me at the stake. You thought I was a witch centuries ago, but now you just call me a bitch. And it just like hits you. And it's like, oh, like, after she's talking about like lashes and starfalls and hair and like, you know, just like all of the beauty and the, the physicality of being womanly. She's like, she just switches that, that switches that switch. Flips like listen switch. like like even listen to this chunk is really important it's if you have a mother daughter or a friend maybe it's time time you comprehend the world that you live in ain't the same one as them so don't punish me for not being a man and it's yeah. like whoa yeah like yeah i think that's so important and music and the music industry can be wildly sexist as well if, if oh, not yeah. more so than if if not more so than comedy, because with comedy, it's this understanding of like, well, the product is supposed to be funny for men and we want to put men in the front of that. And that's the way it's supposed to work. But it's interesting with music because it's the product can be male or female, but the power needs to stay male. And oh, yeah. Look at like Kesha. Like, look at mm -hmm. Taylor Swift having to re-record her whole catalog and like, oh, it's yeah. just all that shit. Oh yeah. And then again, with like women and minorities, just like, it's so fine. We'd love to be entertained by you. We'd love to profit off of you. Uh, we would not like you to have any control over anything you say or do. Like yep. <laughs> that's, that is, that is yeah. the big difference. And there's so many stories of people having all these kinds of problems when they want to have some control over their masters or their own material. And, you know, you like, I even came from a scene where if you started to book your own shows and suddenly you were like blacklisted and weren't allowed to be on shows, like it's just, so what are you supposed to do? Like fight for the one spot that a woman gets? Or do you create a stage space so that you and your peers can have a chance? Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. I like this song a lot. This is what I love about this podcast. I get to discover something new every episode. So this is going on my playlist for the week. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so tell me your number four song. Uh, okay, number four uh, is by Demi Lovato, and the song is actually kind of new. It came out this this year, and um, this is one of those songs that was kind of a gift from a friend. Where a friend of mine, uh, it was when I was working. I was I worked at a vaccine site for six months, and I had become friends with the people I worked with. And one of the guys I worked with was like, I heard this song, and I immediately thought of you. And the song is called "The Kind of Lover I Am." And it is the first song that I've ever heard that speaks to the bi experience. Like I am, I'm bi. And the song, basically, if you look at the lyric about like, um, I don't care if you're a woman or a man, that's the kind of lover I am. Very much like it, it just, you never hear that in music. You always hear where it's like one perspective of whether or not you're pining after a man or you're pining after a woman. And like hearing something that incorporates both is like, it just, it was, it was so validating to finally hear that like experience spoken of. It was really cool. Wow. Demi Lovato is someone who recently the public like they just they go back and forth on siding with them or not you know depending on the week but I love that Demi has always stood in their truth and 
like fought to be their most self, whether it was, you know, when they were female identifying in the space of the the Disney Channel cookie cutter, perfect girl archetype and like admitting they had substance abuse problems and like struggled with eating disorders and now they're comfortable in their body and then like living in their non-binary stance and talking openly about being um, like attracted to different genders and sexual orientations. And I just, I think that's so awesome. I think yeah. it's just so awesome that this person has just always stood up for who they are. Like, I love that so much. Me too. I, I really do. Like it's, I, it just, it was such a cool experience hearing that song. Cause it, it's like, you finally felt seen because I, I think the, I mean, this is kind of common knowledge, but like the bi community kind of always feels like we're lurking in the shadows. Cause like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where like, everybody is so like, it's so easy when you hear of like pride and you, and you think gay bars and it's like mostly, most of them are male oriented. And if you have a lesbian bar and then when, and then when you're bi, you have this weird where you're like, well, I'm not. I'm not like straight enough for like dudes to be comfortable with it, but I'm not gay enough for like other women to like come to, to hit on me because you feel like you present, like, I know I present mostly feminine. So like, it's tough. So like, I'm I, so heading on women scares the shit out of me. And like, well, it's, it is a very interesting experience and to finally hear it like out loud. You're just, it was very validating. That's wonderful. That is. Yeah. I can't think of another big musical moment. Uh, that just captured that talks about the experience of being attracted to more than one gen. I I mean, one thing there was this like song in the nineties, nineties called Shane and Jane that I remember like my Christian <laughs> my Christian elementary school would not allow us to sing it. <laughs> so that's how yeah. I remember it. Do you remember this song? <laughs> I don't know if I know that song. It was so like lyrically, it was very like, I do love Shane and Jane. They make me feel the same. And so it was like, ooh, she likes boys and girls. And like, that was like the first time I even heard that was a thing a person could believe. Yeah, uh, like, cause, cause you hear, cause even when like, um, what was that song? The, uh, like, there's like Katy Perry, like I kissed a girl and I liked it. There's like, even um, the other one, was it a Tegan and Sarah song that was like, I forget, I forget, I'm forgetting the name, but there's, there's like been a few that's about kind of like the lesbian experience, but nothing that kind of talks about both. So I thought that that was really interesting. I remember Tattoo, all the things she said. That's and that the was one, like that's the, the one I'm yes. thinking of. Yes. That was the first time I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, that's a thing. People, girls be kissing girls. Like, you know, that was just something I hadn't been introduced to very early on. And I, I just love that there is this whole generation that is not going to know to not have these ideas presented as like, yeah, this is part of like, you know what I mean? Or it's... I just love, I mean, yes, maybe there is still, there is definitely still homophobia all over the country, but I do feel like this newer generation is not growing up literally being afraid to even know that other lifestyles exist. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think things are getting better. And I like that there's more examples and different types of music. Um, Shane and Jane, I can't, now I'm starting to wonder if this is like one of those Mandela thing, Mandela effect things, because I can't find it. It's like, it doesn't exist on the internet now. I, somebody's uh -huh. gonna, I swear this is real. Like people got in trouble for saying it. Now I'm just, I'm looking it up and I'm finding like Jane and Shane's wedding website on Zola.com. I'm like, not those <laughs> straight people. It's Shane and Jane are her boyfriend and her girlfriend and she loves them both. No, not a couple. 
not somebody asking for a KitchenAid mixer. Like, who are yeah. she? Jane? They <laughs> were real. Like, is this a poly couple? What is going on over there? Like, <laughs> they were real. They were real in my mind, at least. Maybe they weren't real. I swear they were real. So oh, great song choice. Thank you for telling me Thank about you. that. And I'm just, oh, yeah. Demi Lovato. They they sing their ass off too, like yep. they yep. sing sing. So I'm excited. I don't think I've heard this particular track because it's so new. So I am excited to dig in. It's really fun. It's very uh, it's very catchy. Like yeah, you'll I think you'll dig it. Uh, but I really liked that one a lot. Um, okay, I only have one left. So the the yes, last, you do. Uh, the last one I have is another classic rock. Uh, but the song uh by Tom Petty, R.I.P. Uh, the song Wildflowers. So that whole album was very like seminal for me. And I really, I love that whole album. It's, it came out in, I think it was 94 when it came out. So I was like nine. And uh, that particular song, it, it kind of like there is, I, so I moved to LA when I was 23. I, it was in 2008. Um, and so you know, whenever doing a big life change is really scary. And this song was a song that I always loved because it kind of calmed me and validated me. Be like, hey, you do deserve the best. And this song mm. was like a nice caveat to be like, you know what? If if what you need is moving across the country and changing your life completely, like that is valid and that is okay. And this kind this song, like kind of like the like the uh, the, the main like tagline of it is you belong somewhere you feel free. And that was very like yeah like i got it like i need to do this for me it's not about somebody else like this is i I gotta do what's right for me what was like the affirming moment that let you know you're in the right place out here or like to make the move out here like once you got to la and you like started to get settled or has does that never happen (laughs) you're like has it (laughs) happened i don't know uh I think the moment that I really felt like I was where I was supposed to be, honestly, was when I found stand up. Because prior to that, I didn't really know. I knew I, I, I moved out here with kind of without a plan. Like my, the only thing I had that I knew I was going to do was, I, I liked Tina Fey and I knew she went through Second City and I was like, okay, well they have one of those out there. So I got to LA on a Monday and I started Second City that Friday, and that you know got me into comedy in that space and doing improv and sketch. And then from there is when after that people were like, I think you would be good at stand up. You should try it. And I was like, ugh, no thanks. I have no desire. Yeah. And I fought it for like so long. And finally I I was bored and stuck career wise and didn't know what else to do. And so I took a class just to do something. And it was a stand-up class. And I was like, oh, like the pieces all of a sudden just fell together. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I think that was like the real validating moment. That's wonderful. That's so funny because I've always had people who tell me I should do improv. I'm like, oh, no, other bodies on the stage. Absolutely not. <laughs> what am I, Adam <laughs> Levine? Get away from me. <laughs> I don't, oh, God. If I if I do have an improv team, I'm gonna make, we're going to call it Maroon 4. And like the other ones. <laughs> oh, man. Really that is so awesome that you had that moment of like feeling really connected through stand up. So that's amazing. I love this playlist. I think it's so great and so different. You didn't, you didn't pick it. I have not heard any of these songs picked before by any of our guests. So you got to open my eyes up to some new stuff. So thank you for sharing that with me. I oh, love yeah. Thank Thanks for the homework. It made me actually kind of think about some stuff, which is neat. I love a homework podcast. I think structure is good. Um, I know my guests are always like, wait, can we just nothing? No, we don't do nothing here. We, this is a structured podcast. 
So the last segment we like to do is an advice segment, kind of like a dedicate a song moment, if you will. I think these are a lot of fun. Um, so this question came from my Facebook group. Uh, you can join us on Facebook at Rhythm and Bay Podcast on Facebook. And the question is, what song makes you feel like a badass? And there's so many great answers. So I'd love to know what's make, what, what song makes you feel like a badass? Oh God. Uh, what song makes me feel like a badass? Um, okay. I know I don't remember the name of it, but it's on a playlist. I'm going to look at it right now. There's, um, there's, a, I have a playlist in my phone just called good mood, good moods with a Z. And, uh, it's, it's like, that just Z a bunch important. Of, it's very important. And it's just like a bunch of songs that make me feel really good whenever I listen to them. They're like catchy and silly. Um, but uh so there's a i mean god there's a lot on here that kind of do that for me but like some of them that make me feel like a badass uh hmm ah shit like i really like uh ah shit no i want to come back to this you go first this is stressing me out (laughs) (laughs) oh my god my favorite people are the ones who like they take each question like really like to heart i appreciate that about oh oh okay wait no i got it uh what makes me feel like a badass the oop as i knock this over uh what makes me feel like a badass is the entire alanis morissette album that is the iconic like uh the iconic album of just like what's the name jagged little pill thank you my brain is like on fire right now uh yeah jagged little pill that album is like for also they turned it into a musical so let's just marry all of my favorite things but uh that out al- that whole album is just such a badass album and knowing that she wrote that album when she was like 16 is just like so oh it's such a i love cranking that shit up i love that that album <laughs> what's your favorite song off of it um i really like all i really want uh the the first one because like you ought to know i love to but like all I really want and and one that I feel like doesn't get as much playtime, but I really like the song Not the Doctor a lot. That's towards the end of the album. Mm, it wasn't released as a single, so I don't think it's one that like people know off the top of their head. No, I just really like it. It's kind of just catchy and it's I just it's just a fun song. I like it. I've heard the musical's great. So you you just reminded me that's like one of those things I'm gonna try to do when I'm in New York is just like show up and hope that there's like there's always like a percentage of tickets from people who just don't show up to a show and they give it away like at like close to the beginning so I'm just gonna try yeah oh oh, I didn't answer my feel like a badass song is called karaoke it's by Big Frida featuring Lizzo and it is one of my favorite songs it is it's great because it's about hyping yourself up to do something and um (laughs) There is, it's, it's a big Frida song. So it's got that, like that New Orleans call and response chant in the court. And it's like, for it's, it's so great because it goes from like really making yourself feel better and empowered to just straight vulgarity. And I love that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big I Frida love Lizzo too. Just like, oh, but bitch is a band kid. She plays flute. I was like, oh girl, hell yeah. Because Lizzo says, touchdown on the stage, you know a bitch ain't come to play. Love it, right? Like, there's the there's the feeling yourself. And then Big Frida's like, if you got that dick, then dick them down. If you got that drip, then make them drown. And I just love the energy of approaching a karaoke stage, genitals first. You know what I mean? Like, just- <laughs> 
Can you please send me this song? Because I very much need to listen to this now. Yes, I will send it to you like right, right the fuck away. It's very important that you you hear it because it's just so great. It's so great. Oh man. Well, that is gonna wrap up the show for the day. Thank you again for doing this. I love talking to you, just point blank period, but I'm so glad you're a part of the show. Thank you. I love your face. Oh, so where can people hear you, see you, find you? And of course, I know you have an album coming out. Are we ready to talk about it? Yeah. So um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, reluctantly on TikTok, uh, all that stuff. <laughs> but uh, my handle is just at Valerie underscore Tossie. Um, and shows I have coming up, uh, I'm going to be in Denver and One Night in Vail uh, in a little less than two weeks. I'll be in Vail on uh, November 17th and then Denver the rest of the time from the 18th through the 21st. And then um, the other big trip I'm going to do is uh, in December, I'm going to be in Oregon and I'm doing one night at the Volcanic Theater in Bend. And then I will be, uh, that's November 16th. And then November 18th, I will be in Portland at the Siren uh, co-headlining with uh, my good pal, Joanne Schinderly. So that's going to be really fun. Um, that is going to be so dope. What about um, Mermaid Hour? Are you doing anything in LA for our LA fans? Yeah. So um, I know this is, I think this is going to come out after, but um, November 8th is our five slash six year anniversary show because we don't know anymore with COVID screwing it all up. So, um, but our, it's an all female, female identifying non-binary show. It's uh, the second Monday of the month you uh, all the time. So if you're interested, come to the December one. Uh, it's always dope. We have Sherry Shepard doing the anniversary show. So I'm real jazzed about that. Yes. She's the best. Yeah. It's going to be really fun. So I can't wait. And everybody on the lineup is a killer. So it's, it's going to be great. Oh my gosh. Well, I cannot wait. Gonna be there for sure. Thanks again for doing the show. If you guys loved Valerie, make sure you follow her on all the things, all the social things at Valerie Tossie, right? Uh, where are you, what are you on the, the things? <laughs> Valerie underscore Tossie. And then my album, I think, is coming out in January, so keep an eye out for that, too. Okay, so no title, but it's coming. It's coming soon. Yeah, well, you guys I are having one yet. <laughs> it'll it'll find you. It'll it'll find yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. All right. If you guys are enjoying Rhythm and Bay, you know what to do. Tell your friends about it. It's super easy to do and cost you $0. Share it, like it, tell someone to listen to it. Follow Rhythm and Bay on Facebook at facebook.com slash Rhythm and Bay. Remember that's B-A-E, like the term of endearment. We're also on Twitter at Rhythm and Bay. I fixed it. It's no longer Bay Rhythm and... It was misspelled for a year. Oh, um, no. I told, I told you I'm a touch dyslexic. Um <laughs> I don't lie about these things. And this is, um, we are wrapping up our Behind the Murder segment. So if you have anyone that you want us to talk about, please tell us now because in December, we're starting something completely different that I cannot wait to tell you guys about. So you're enjoying the show. You love it. You know what to do. Rhythm and Bay on all the things. And dun da 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 we now have a Patreon. Yes, I am asking you for money. Not even being subtle about it. I need some money, folks. If you like the show and you want to keep listening, if you like these long ones, please, $10 a month could make a huge difference. It could keep me off the streets. Uh, so fuck the mean you, streets of Glendale, California. You don't know, girl. It's getting rough out here. There's children skateboarding all hours of the day. <laughs> people families feel safe here it's not a safe place for people who like to sleep until noon these kids are here okay i love that and, you're being a nimby about kids skateboarding because you want to sleep till noon that's so yeah. funny it's and degenerates need a place to feel safe listen there's just too much like listen 
Let us have something. Let us have Glendale. (laughs) Is there a version of like gentrification that's just like children moving into a space? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's what happens when all of your friends start having kids and they just start moving into your space. (laughs) You're like, no, I didn't ask for this. This is it. This is it. But yes, please, please, please please give us the money. Patreon.com slash Rhythm and Bay. As always, I'm your host, Jasmine Ellis. You can find me on all the things at Jasmine Ellis Comedy. All right, child, that's going to wrap up our week. Keep it smooth. Bye. Bye.